Um, this series called Ask God Anything. We're starting to wind it down the next week or two. I suspect we'll probably uh, wrap this series up. And uh, what we've been doing is dealing with questions that have been asked by a lot of you. Uh, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? You've submitted those. You've done that anonymously. And uh, a lot of those now, this is week number nine or 10, I think it is, in the series. And uh, we've dealt with a lot of those questions. The ones we're not de- able to deal with on a Sunday morning, some of those we're dealing with in our podcast that we rolled out about a month ago called Chasing the Rabbit. It's myself and our four other pastors. And so there's a little bit of it that we hope brings a smile and brings a little bit of joy to you and a part of it that helps to answer some of these questions as well. So the details are in your, in your newsletter if you want to access that if you haven't already. But these have been great questions and a lot of these questions we've dealt with uh, in a way that's taken us deeper, that's challenged us in our faith, challenged us in the way we view life, in the way we view scripture, in the way we view God. Hopefully it's helped us to do that better and uh, in a way that he intended. So this morning is going to be a little bit of a different message in response to a question that was asked. For some of you, what I'm going to talk about today is going to deal directly with you, right where you are, maybe today or where you've been over these last couple of years or so. Others of you, it's not going to deal with you directly. It's going to deal with you indirectly because you may have family members or close friends who are dealing with some of what we're going to talk about this morning. And then there are yet others that are more indirect in that you've got... um, You've got the ability to walk alongside of someone who's struggling in the way we're going to look at today. And hopefully for you, if that's the case, you can take a little bit of what we look at and uh, certainly much of what Scripture tells us today to be able to help and to be a benefit to those that, uh, that you walk alongside of. Last year, June 2021, uh, the French Open was held as it was during that time every single year. One of the biggest ten- tennis tournaments of the season. It's one of the four majors. One of the expected winners of that tournament would be a young lady named Naomi Osaka. Osaka was the second-rated, second-ranked uh, women's tennis player in the world at that time, a year ago in June. She was also the highest-earning uh, female athlete of any female athlete across, across any sport, earning over $55 million just the year before. She was global and still is a global uh, figure, uh, not just in tennis circles, but also around the world just for who she is and what she stands for. She was a tennis player at the beginning of the French Open. She became a much different figure by the time that, uh, that, uh, that tournament was concluded for something that took place after her first match. She was a four-time uh, major winner. She'd won two U.S. Opens, two Australian Opens, had never won the French, but she was expected to do very well. Her first match there last June, she won that match, and afterwards she was expected to attend the, uh, the post-match presser, the press conference that is an expectation for athletes nowadays. If you're a professional athlete, you're expected to stand before the media and answer questions after you've performed, and uh, it helps to keep fans engaged, right? And there was no different for her. However, she failed to show up and she decided not to show up for that post-match press conference after her first round win in the French Open last summer. And the reason that she chose not to show up was because she said that it was due to needing to benefit her mental health. The French Open officials immediately levied a $15,000 fine against her for not showing up for her post-match press conference, and uh, they also threatened for her to be suspended or to be at least suspended from the French Open. Once that news began to break and it began to swirl globally, there were many uh, opinions that were shared both online and in the media about her decision not to, uh, to, to step out in front of the media. She made the decision to withdraw from the tournament altogether, having played only one specific match. 
She would later cite on a Twitter post that the reason that she chose not to was not only because of the, to benefit her own mental health, but she also shared in her Twitter post afterwards that since 2018, when she won the U.S. Open, again, one of her four majors, that since that time in 2018, she had dealt with, quote, long bouts of depression. This morning, the question that we're going to deal with is a question that was asked anonymously back in January, and it's a question that, again, I think for some this morning who are seated here or watching online, it's going to apply directly to you. For others, it's going to apply indirectly because you are a caregiver, and yet others, it's going to apply indirectly because you have a close friend who perhaps you can be a benefit to. The question we're going to deal with this morning, I'm going to read it exactly like it was submitted, and you can read it on the screen behind me. It says, what does the Bible say about mental health? Does the Bible recognize depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, etc.? Or is this societal? What happens, according to the Bible, if a loved one who is a Christian commits suicide? And is suicide a sin? The Bible doesn't deal with some of the specific, many, or I would even say most of the specific um, areas of mental health. It doesn't say anything specifically about bipolar disorder. It doesn't say anything about post-traumatic stress disorder. The majority of uh, terms that we would use today in the arena of, of mental health, the Bible doesn't speak to those specifically. However, the Bible does say an awful lot about the topic of mental health. And this morning, I don't have to tell you, I've been here for a long time. Many of you have been here for a long time. You know that I'm not a physician. You know that I'm not, gonna, that I'm not a doctor. I've never even played one on television. And so I'm not going to even try to fake as though I have a medical background in this. That would be wrong for me to even attempt to do that. And so I'm not speaking this morning from a medical perspective, but I am going to speak from a biblical perspective. And so the question that was asked is a question that I think needs to be asked, and it needs to be addressed from a biblical perspective as well. And as we're going to see in just a moment, there are a variety of reasons that people struggle at times with mental health issues, uh, <clears throat> and yet thankfully the Bible does speak into, those, uh, into, into the issue of mental health specifically, and it does so clearly. One of, the, one of the tragedies of mental health issues that folks face is that it's often handled in isolation. And many times in our culture, and you can kind of see that as the events surrounding Naomi Osaka and the French Open played out, it suddenly was thrust into the spotlight. And that was a very good thing because in these recent years, what we've seen is that whether it's a professional athlete, whether it's a celebrity, whether it's someone else of a high profile, what we've seen is that the topic of mental health has now been drug out of the shadows and placed into the spotlight. And that's a very healthy thing. That's a very good thing because what often happens is for those who struggle with mental health issues, whether it be those that are deep issues or whether it be those that I'm going to deal with specifically this morning because I think the Bible speaks more specifically to anxiety, to discouragement, and to depression, regardless of what the issue is as it relates to mental health, if someone struggles often in our culture, they struggle alone. There sadly has been a stigma that has been attached to those who struggle with, uh, with mental health issues, whether it be the ones that have long, biblical, or, or long medical names behind them, or whether it be depression, anxiety, and discouragement. There is often a stigma, and what happens is, is that people suffer as they struggle because they suffer and they struggle in isolation. 
And as they suffer and as they struggle in isolation, not only is the resource of other people access, but also many times there's this mistaken notion and is incredibly hurtful and incredibly dangerous and incredibly wrong, right, that God has this view that if we only had more faith or if we were only stronger and not so weak, then we wouldn't deal with these kinds of things. There could be more hurtful things said than God expects us to have more faith or to be stronger. And if we had more faith and if we were stronger, we wouldn't deal with anxiety or discouragement or depression. It's one of the most hurtful things that could be said. What we find is something, however, vastly different, as we're going to see from an example in Scripture and as we're going to see in a variety of passages of Scripture that we're going to look at specifically this morning. And so my goal today is to deal directly as it relay, as Scripture speaks, just pulling out a part of what it says related to anxiety and discouragement and depression. COVID has created somewhat of a toxic cocktail of struggle for those who deal with either of those three areas of mental health. When you throw in what COVID has brought over the last two years, there has been isolation, was been one ingredient in that toxic cocktail. There has been fear. There has been illness for some, dealing with the illness of loved ones for others, right, that have been part of those ingredients. There has been stress throughout these two years of COVID. All those have mixed together to, to where those who struggle with mental health have, have, it's only been exacerbated and the number of people in that struggle has only grown. Brown University, Boston University partnered to do a, a research project where they studied the levels of depressive um, uh, symptoms in the lives of people. In the midst of their study, what they found was 12 and a half people demonstrated symptoms of depression uh, before the pandemic, before COVID ever came, 12 and a half percent. Into, the, uh, into COVID, uh, after it had begun to kind of play its way through in 2021, they did the study again and they, they, uh, they did the same level of research and they found that that 12.5% of those who demonstrated symptoms of depression before COVID had now risen in the midst of COVID to 32.8%, a fourfold increase. It's something that has become a part of our culture where there are times where maybe we ourselves are the ones who deal with discouragement or with depression or with anxiety or maybe with some other area of mental health. And if it's not we ourselves, often it's someone who is close to us or someone that at the very least we are acquainted with. And where the world says, keep it to yourself, where the world says, have a little bit more strength, where sometimes, sadly, the church says, have a little bit more faith, what God says is something vastly different. So what are the reasons that we see such a struggle at times with depression, with anxiety, with, um, uh, with discouragement? What are some of the reasons for that? There are a variety of reasons. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to try to act like I am one. But there are at times medical reasons for this. Sometimes it may be about an imbalance, hormonal, or maybe there is something that is, that is related to the neurological functions of a person's life, where there is a legitimate medical reason. Sometimes there are hereditary aspects of it, where there is a, there, there is a genuine medically diagnosed reason why those struggles take place. Uh, that, that is something that is incredibly legitimate. At other times, however, what we find is that struggles with anxiety or depression or discouragement uh, sometimes are circumstantial in nature. 
Maybe it is something like COVID that has pushed all the wrong stressors that has caused a person to never dealt with it before, to now be struggling with some of those areas. Sometimes it comes with uh, as a result of loss, whether it's a loss of a loved one or a loss of a, of a job or a loss of a dream, or, or maybe there is um, some other change that comes in life, but it's a circumstantial issue that comes. First Kings chapter 19 shows us an example of this. I'm going to go through a lot of passages today, quite a few. I'm going to get you still, my goal is at least to get you out of here on time. So we're not like I'm throwing a bunch extra and we're going to stay here forever. Uh, but it's going to be hard to keep up. So if you've got our church app, you can cover all of these passages easily. Others you may want to jot down and go back to later or just read along with me. It's going to be hard for you to follow me in Scripture. I'll just go ahead and give you a little bit of a heads up. But First Kings chapter 19, we read of a prophet named Elijah. Elijah was a man of God. Elijah was a faithful prophet. Elijah, in this context, had just come off the heels of defeating 400 prophets of Baal. If you were to say to Elijah in this setting, oh, Elijah, you need to have a little bit more faith, Elijah would say, excuse me, I just demonstrated more faith than you probably ever demonstrated in your life. If you were to say to Elijah, oh, Elijah, you just need to have a little bit more strength. You need to be strong. You don't need to be so weak. He would say, excuse me, I just went toe-to-toe with the most powerful man on the face of this earth and his prophets, and I came out victorious because of what God did. He would have huge issues with us saying, be stronger and have more faith. And yet we find him here in the midst of a great victory, having just come on the heels of that, and now circumstances have changed, and it's put him in a whole different place. First Kings chapter 19, verse 2, it says, Then Jezebel, this is King Ahab's wife, sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods, she believed in the plethora of false gods, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. In other words, one of these false prophets that were just eliminated, by tomorrow about this time. She's threatening his life here. And he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. All right, so he is self-isolating. He was withdrawing. He's going all by himself. And he came and he sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it's enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. His circumstances brought him to a place, perhaps where he had never been before, where he is ready to just throw in the towel on everything that he had ever known. Sometimes depression, anxiety, discouragement comes because of medical reasons, sometimes circumstantial reasons, sometimes it comes because of spiritual reasons. Right? David cries out in Psalm 51, after hiding his sin from God for a year, he cries out in Psalm 51, Lord, let these bones that you've crushed rejoice. Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, Adam, uh, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, they're walking in unbroken fellowship with the Lord. I mean, this is their creator. They're like this. They're tight. They're in fellowship. There's no sin. Adam and Eve sin. They eat the fruit. They rebel against God. They disobey. What is the very next thing they're doing? We see the entrance into this big old book. We see the in- entrance of, sh- uh, of a shame and guilt on the heels of their sin. Now, let me just say this. Anytime someone wrestles with depression or with anxiety or, um, or with discouragement, hear me on this. It doesn't mean that there's some unconfessed sin that they're hiding. It doesn't mean that. But sometimes that can be the case because guilt and shame, when there's an unsettledness in a person's life, that sh- guilt and that shame, when it's not dealt with and, and, and the head of that serpent is not taken off and there's not reconciliation between us and, and, and God, that guilt and shame can have devastating consequences in a person's life. Can, can, can put them into a, in, into a spiral that they've never experienced before until they come clean with God. And so what are some of the, some of the 
reasons that people struggle with anxiety, with depression, with uh, discouragement. Sometimes medically, sometimes circumstantially, sometimes it's spiritual. We see examples of this, I think all, uh, virtually all three of these to some degree uh, throughout Scripture in different places in Scripture. So what does the Bible tell us then about this struggle at times with mental health? There's a principle I hope you'll jot down and we're going to begin to dig into a lot of different passages of Scripture. And the principle is this, that Scripture offers hope to those struggling with issues related to mental health. Scripture offers hope. In fact, I would say it offers the legitimate hope, the most legitimate hope. How, how does it offer hope? I want to give you a few reasons, and these aren't on the overhead, but we're going to read some scriptures here that help to, um, help to emphasize this. One of the ways that scripture offers hope is that it acknowledges the struggle to begin with. It acknowledges the struggle. Where the world says, get stronger, you know, buckle up, keep it to yourself, push through, and where the church sometimes wrongly says, just have more faith, what God says is, no, I acknowledge your struggle. Those wrestling with discouragement, those wrestling with depression, with anxiety, often feel a compulsion to push it down, to keep it to themselves, to isolate, to withdraw. What God does is that he acknowledges the struggle. Proverbs chapter, uh, chapter 12, listen to what it says here. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Let me see if I can find it. I think Proverbs is in my Bible. Yes, there it is. Proverbs chapter 12, right after Psalms, like it always has been. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. God says, anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Anxiety, God acknowledges, in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Listen, if you're struggling in any of those areas, God understands that. God acknowledges that. He's not telling you to get better. He's not telling you to get stronger. He's not telling you to trust harder. He acknowledges that struggle. A second way Scripture offers hope to those who struggle is that it offers ultimate hope through a relationship with Jesus. Ultimately, right, through a relationship with him. Why? Because that gives us a relationship with our creator, the one who's made us, the one who's formed us, and the one who's fashioned us, the one who knows our beginning from our end. God understands us. And when we have a relationship with him through Jesus, meaning we lay down our sin and we turn from our sin and we place our faith in Jesus and, and, and we no longer are characterized by our sin, we're characterized by his grace and by a relationship with him. Listen, that gives us the, 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 the direct relation to the hope that comes only through Christ. Matthew chapter 11 is the only place where Jesus describes himself in all the Bible. If you've ever wondered what did Jesus look like, did he really have those blazing blue eyes like the paintings? Did he really have that long hair did, just like the painting? Did he really have a really good tan like the painting? Show? It, what did he look like, right? The Bible doesn't tell us exactly. There's some reference in the Old Testament that's general here in the New Testament in the only place where Jesus describes himself Listen to what he says. He doesn't describe his physical appearance. He describes his heart. He says, Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Can we read that verse in the context of the question that was asked this morning? He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, partner with me. Learn from me. Here's where he describes himself. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He's not saying get stronger. He's not saying push through. He's saying come to me. Amen. Saying come to me. You weary? You heavy burdened? Come to me. Scripture offers hope to those who struggle. <clears throat> 
because God acknowledges the struggle. God invites us to himself. It also acknowledges or offers hope because it offers us practical hope through other people who walk with us. Galatians chapter 6 is a powerful passage of Scripture. Paul's writing to the church in the region of Galatia. The church is in the region of Galatia. And he says in Galatians 6 verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the collection of people just like us right, who have a relationship with Jesus, and he's giving us this command to bear one another's burdens, to come alongside. What did Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you. When we bear one another's burdens, we're reflecting Jesus, right? Bear one another's burdens. And then he says also, so that you will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Jesus also said, and the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the greatest ways you can show love to your neighbor is to come alongside of them and help with them, help them and walk with them to bear their burden, right? So that they don't bear their burden alone. You may know people. You may have come through a season of anxiety or discouragement or depression. You may be walking that road, right, with a loved one who's dealing with, with one of those areas or another area of, uh, of, of mental health. You may be in the midst of that struggle. You may have come through. Listen, you know people that are in the midst of it themselves. You can offer so much as a follower of Jesus just to come and to listen and to be there, to show your presence ultimately to them. And then Scripture offers us hope as well because it offers God's presence. Psalm chapter 34, this is a great, such a clear verse. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Don't you love those two descriptors? He is near, and he saves the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. So where do you fall in this spectrum today? Where, where do you drop down in this message? Where do you land in a message like this? Do you land in the, in the spot that says, you know what, man, that's where I am, Brooks. I'm dealing with discouragement. I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with depression. Is that where you land? Do you drop down in that spot in this message? Do you land in the spot where you say, no, I, but I know someone who's dealing with this? Is that the spot where you land in this message? We all land somewhere. Do you land in the spot where you say, Brooks, I'm not dealing with this. I don't even know anybody necessarily who is, but I want to be a help and I want to be a good person to bear their burden with them. So how can I do this? Well, I want to give you just a few little helps this morning that are just hopefully practical handles to put to this, that if you're in the midst of this struggle or if you know someone who is and you want to try to be a benefit to them, then these are going to be about eight different things that you can do. And I want to move through them fairly quickly. Some of them I'm going to have a passage for you. And uh, this may give you some tracks to run on. What's the first help? Number one, and this sounds like I'm supposed to say this, but it genuinely is number one for a reason, is to know Jesus. Now understand that when we know Jesus, he never promised us that life would be easy. All right. Whenever we place our faith in Jesus, he never promised us that if you just come and place your faith in me, that I'm going to keep all the hard stuff away and you're never going to have hard edges in life. It's all going to be soft and easy and you're always going to have peace and you're always going to have happiness. You're always going to hear bluebirds singing and the sun's always going to be shining. That's the way life's going. He never told us that. Right? We still live in a fallen world. He felt the hard edges first. He felt the hard edges long before we did in a way that we don't have to because he experienced being crucified and ultimately experienced being broken away in fellowship with the Father. He did that for us. 
right? So he experienced that, but he also, what he does promise us is that when we know him in relationship, when we lay down our sin, when we place our faith in him, what he does promise us is that he's going to walk with us, that he's going to always be there with us to guide us through. Though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death, right? He tells us through, through Psalm chapter 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. He tells us that. And so the starting point for any help in the midst of discouragement, anxiety, depression, is that we find the person of Jesus and that we do what he tells us to, that we come to him, that we bring it all to him. We don't try to suppress it. We don't try to keep it pushed down. We don't worry about, uh, about am I strong enough or, or do I have enough faith? We just bring it to him right? And we know him in relationship, then we bring him our heart, we bring him all of our struggles. Number two, one of the practical things we can do as well is to keep some visual reminders in front of us, right? If you're one of those who struggles to keep visual reminders of God's presence in front of you, this might be helpful, especially for those of you who are visual people, right? You're just sort of wired in a way where you're, you're very visual and, and, and you, you like to see tangible reminders of things that are important. Sometimes it can help for you to, to just jot down, right? One of God's promises, I'm with you, right? One of the first ones to start with, you know, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, right? Some of those verses that deal with his unconditional love. Some of it, the verses that talk about how he'll work all things out for good. He is a God who's in total control. And, and whether it's putting them in a place in your home or putting them in your vehicle or, or whatever you need to do, sometimes just putting tangible, literal Visual reminders around you can be helpful because what does it do? It brings you back to the truth. One of the biggest parts about the struggle with discouragement and with depression, with anxiety, are the lies that run through our minds between our ears and get down into our hearts, and then they affect the way we live our lives out, right? We live in fear, we live in, uh, in, in timidity, and we, we believe a bunch of lies where we struggle as a result of that. What, what keeping his word does in front of us, it, what it does is it, it keeps us rooted in the truth, Right? When we're anxious because everything feels out of control, we're reminded, no, God is in control. And when the enemy comes and whispers these lies, those visual reminders, they're, they're not magic pellets. It's not going to make it all go away, but it helps to steer our focus to where our focus needs to be. Number three, integrate, don't isolate. Integrate, don't isolate. Remember, I'm talking primarily today about discouragement, anxiety, depression. And for those wrestling with those areas specifically, there can be a real tendency at times to just disconnect and to withdraw. And sometimes what has to happen is a, a definitive decision to say, no, I'm not going to isolate. I'm going to integrate. I'm going to, I'm going to connect. L listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes 4. We often hear this verse only at a wedding, um, even though it's not speaking about marriage necessarily. It certainly applies, but it applies in a lot of other ways as well. Ecclesiastes 4, beginning in verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. What did Elijah do when he was running in fear, when he was anxious, when he was ready to throw in the towel? What did he do? He left his servant and he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He isolated himself. 
And what Ecclesiastes says is we need to surround ourselves. Verse 11, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? The picture there is a picture of community. It's integrating whenever we struggle, not isolating, right? It's coming alongside of others, bringing other people in so that you don't have to walk alone. Another can help to bear your burden. And let me just say as well, sometimes that takes an enormous amount of courage. If you're one of the ones wrestling with anxiety or depression, it takes an enormous amount of courage to reach out and to send, send that email or to shoot that text or to make that phone call or to grab that person by the arm and say, can we talk, right? Because other people aren't going to always know what your struggle is unless you share. And once you share, then they have the freedom to then care, right? And so integrate, don't isolate. A fourth thing that we can do to help in that struggle is to make your world bigger, I have a good friend of mine who's a, a Christian counselor, and uh, I was planning to preach this message a couple weeks ago. I preached a message on prayer. If you may remember, I, I, I said then I had a message I've been working on. I planned to preach. I felt like God redirected me. This was the one that I didn't preach. <laughs> and so for a couple of weeks now, I've kind of had this one in different stages of, of getting ready. And um, I, I talked with my friend who's a Christian counselor, and I ran some of this by him, and he made some really, really good points as well. I think this is maybe one of the ones he said, was it for us is to make our world bigger. What, what, is, what does that mean? Again, when there's a tendency to withdraw or to isolate, sometimes we have to force ourselves out the door, force ourselves to get outside, force ourselves to get in the mix, force ourselves to come to church, force ourselves to be in an environment that's going to be helpful. And, and, and often what happens is that allows us to, to not isolate and withdraw where, we're, where we could, could drown in the struggle but to ultimately get out, serve others, do something to help someone else, right? Where there can be very practical benefit to that. Number five, a fifth thing that we can often do is to examine your lifestyle. Here's what I mean by that. When you read of people who struggled with those seasons of discouragement or depression, even we could say today, maybe in scripture, sometimes there was a very practical response to it. A practical response such as, get something to eat, <laughs> you know? And when we examine our lifestyle, if you're going through one of those seasons or if you have a friend who is, sometimes there can be a very practical response to that, that if they're, let's just say, in a place where they're anxious because of the events of the world, right? Over this two years, one of the reasons I think that COVID had a fourfold increase in symptoms of depression was because all we could do was sit inside by ourselves and watch the news, Right? And if it's the news that's facilitating these issues of anxiety and maybe even depression, sometimes one of the practical things we can do is to take a look at that and say, you know what, I'm in front of the news three hours a day. Maybe if I take a step back, <laughs> it will help me not to be so anxious in my life. If I'm working 80 hours a week and I'm disconnected from my family and from my friends and from those things that fill my tank and from any hobbies and I'm really struggling and I can't be in church and, and serve the Lord and I'm, I'm doing all this work, maybe what I need to do is take an, ex an inventory of my life style, take a step back and make some changes, right? And sometimes that is diet related. Sometimes it is exercise related. Sometimes it is uh, uh, um, uh, sleep related. Sometimes it is those practical things that if we take an inventory of our lives, <clears throat> we can find some things that we can do a little bit differently that can help. Spiritual disciplines maybe that we wander from. What's the sixth thing that we can do to help if we're wrestling with anxiety, depression, discouragement? Make a gratitude list. I've got a friend of mine here in this church who every day he makes a list of 10 things that he's grateful for. Every day. 
And, and what happens is when we make that list of things we're grateful for, it takes our eyes off of where we struggle and off of those circumstances and puts them back on the good things that God's doing in our lives. Philippians chapter four, verse six, look at what it says here. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God says, bring it to me. But when we bring our requests to him, we also do that with thanksgiving. We look at those things that he's done to bless us. Number seven, seventh thing we can do to help is to focus on prayer and on praise. Psalm chapter 42. Again, Psalms is a great book to read if walking through a season of discouragement or depression or anxiety. Psalm chapter 42, verse 5, the psalmist is writing. <clears throat> he says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Pray and praise. And then number eight one, of the eight, one of the things we can do to help in those seasons of struggle is to utilize resources. I, I can give you the names of people who are Christian counselors in our city. I can give you resources outside of our city. I can give you resources of people within our church. One of the best things we have that you can do from your own desktop, from your own mobile device, from your own laptop, in the comfort of your own home if you struggle, is to go to what we offer as a church called Right Now Media. Right Now Media is free for you. You can access it and go to our website, create your own username, your own password. It's completely free. We as a church pay for it. They have a whole, this is 20,000 volumes of Christian video, right? Not movies, not Facing the Giants, not, uh, you know, War Room or any of that, but just Bible studies, some of the best speakers that you've ever heard of or never heard of, actually, even. And one whole section there in Right Now Media that we provide is a whole section on mental health and recovery. I mean, it's a whole entire section that you could certainly find something there that if you struggle is probably going to hit and address that particular topic from a biblical perspective in a way that can be incredibly helpful for you. Let's look at the question one more time, and I want to deal with the last part before we close, and I'll deal with this very sensitively. Let's go to the next slide if we could, the second half of this question. It says, what happens according to the Bible if a loved one who is a Christian commits suicide and is suicide a sin? That's probably a question that most everyone has at least to some degree thought through. Certainly, sadly, in the news today, we hear more and more examples of yet more and more um, high-profile people who are making this decision. I remember for me when this hit home was a few years after I started serving here as pastor. I had a good friend of mine who was here in this church that many of us knew, who in a lot of ways was the face of our church. I mean, he knew everyone, it seemed. He was that kind of a guy, uh, loving, compassionate, full of grace, um, loved the Lord, had a deep walk with the Lord, deep faith. And um, if you knew him, I mean, you pretty much heard about the Lord and you heard about this church. Back then, not long after I had come, a few years after I'd been here, he had been wrestling with some health issues and had not been doing really well. 
we were in two services back then, just as we are now. I think the times were a little bit different. But our format was different in that between the two services back then, uh, we had about an hour in between where we did our, our Sunday school classes. And I remember, um, as, as was often the case at the end of the sermon, we did this up till COVID came. I would stand right down front, right here. I would preach the message. I'd close in prayer and I would come and I would stand right here in this very spot. And we would have the invitation, invite people to come if they wanted to make a decision for Christ. If they wanted to come and pray, they could do that. And I remember as the music played, I stood down front right here and another guy in our church slipped down and he came forward and uh, he whispered to me, he named this person by name and he said, uh, we just found out that he died this morning. So we dismissed, finished that service. We were five minutes from ending and I ended that service and I jumped in my truck and I drove the three minutes to his house. And when I got there, I found cars that were parked there, police vehicle. And one of our staff members who was on staff at the time, who was incredibly close to him, he came out through the yard and he met me in the driveway and he shared with me how he had died. And it was this way that we just spoke of the devastation that came to that family and the hurt. He had a grandson, one year old, his only grandchild. My remembrance, I'd never met his grandchild. He lived in another state with his parents. And um, I felt compelled to write him a letter. (laughs) And I wrote his little grandson, one year old, a letter that one day he would read from a pastor he'd really never met and would never remember or know because I felt compelled to let him know the kind of man that his granddad was. His grandson's probably 16 today. You know, when we ask a question about this topic, it's not the unforgivable sin. There's no doubt in my mind that my friend's not in heaven. He's there. He's with the Lord. He's in heaven today. And it's because of a verse like this, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Let's bring it up. You can read it right here. For I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And it's like if Paul forgot anything, he just says, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, some of you may have been raised in a... uh, in a Christian heritage where the belief was if you make that choice, then you don't spend eternity with God. That's not true. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you spend eternity with God. Your sins are forgiven, right? But I want to emphasize as strongly as I can that never would God ever lead a person to make that decision for themselves. Our lives are his, not ours. And I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, if you're in a place where you struggle today, maybe it's you who's dealing with anxiety or depression or discouragement. Maybe it's because of a medical reason or a circumstantial reason. Maybe there's a spiritual reason. Maybe there's some other reason. All you know is you're hurt. I mean, let me just say you're not alone. There's a God who loves you and wants to walk with you through it, and he's got a plan, and there are people who love you. You're never alone. There are people who want to walk alongside of you and help you bear that burden if you'll let them. And the best thing that you can do is not give up, is to not throw in the towel. It's to come to Jesus the way he invites you and to bring others into that hurt as well. Man, he's for you. He's not against you. And if you've never met him, (laughs) there's no better time than today to say, Jesus, would you even forgive me 
and take over from this day forward. And he'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that no matter what our struggle may be, Lord, thank you that you invite us to bring it. Thank you that we can never do anything, Lord, in our lives that will cause you to say to us that we, we should stay away. Lord, you, you call us to bring everything to you. And Lord, for some in this room today, for some who are watching online, for some who have loved ones or friends who are dealing with some of these issues we've talked about today, Lord, thank you that it doesn't mean that they're weak. Thank you that it doesn't mean we don't have enough faith. Lord, in a lot of ways, it just means we're human living in a fallen world. And Lord, thank you that in the midst of that, that the odds are not stacked against us ever because we have a God who made us, who has all power, who's in total control, that says, bring it to me. What an amazing invitation. And Lord, we know that you don't always remove every single struggle this side of heaven. One day you will. But Lord, we know that sometimes that struggle continues to linger. But Lord, the promise you make is that there are times when you do heal and deliver in ways we could have never imagined. At other times, you walk faithfully through it. And you do things that we could have never imagined as a result. And so God, we thank you that there's always hope. And Lord, whether that's what needs to be remembered by anyone today in this place or someone in a circle of influence that we need to share that message with, Thank you, Lord, that you offer that hope through Jesus. And that when we know you through Jesus, there's never a time when we can ever rightly say that we're alone ever again. So God, may we trust you, may we follow you, may we serve you, may we serve one another in your name. In the precious, beautiful name of Jesus, whom we pray today. Amen.